This is a special edition of the Citizen of Heaven podcast, my most surprising books of 2023. I'm Hal Hammonds, Citizen of Heaven, your embedded correspondent in Satan's world. Thanks for listening, rating, and subscribing. 2023 has been a busy year as far as reading goes, and some of the books that I picked out were not what I had anticipated. Some for good, some for ill. This is the list that I shared with my Facebook group, Heaven Citizens. If you have not joined yet, please do so. And a bit of a caveat before we get started. I happened to notice as I was reviewing the list that I left the first book off the list. And so my list of 10 is actually a list of 9. Well, it's sort of a list of 10 because there are 10 books, but I had 9 slots instead of 10. The one I left out was Who Moved My Cheese by Spencer Johnson and Kenneth Blanchard. I left it out because I don't have a copy of it. I actually read it in the store. It's that short. But it's also that fascinating, and in hindsight, I wish I'd picked it up. It's an allegory with a couple of mice in a maze, and they find a way to find new stores of cheese when the original store is left out. And the miniature human beings in there in the maze weren't as smart as the mice. And the point, of course, is that when your life changes, because it's going to change, you need to find a way to get what you want out of life by modifying your behavior instead of just sitting in place and whining about it all the time. It's a very simple point. It's a very simple illustration, but I found it absolutely engaging. Anyway, if you do a count and you find out that your uh, book's short, that's the one that's missing, and that's why it's missing. That being said, here's the list. So here are the books that surprised me the most as I've been reading since uh, since May or so of, of 2023. The first one I want to talk about is called The Messiah Book. It's written by Peter Jacoby, and it is not exactly a biography of Handel, of uh, George Friedrich Handel, but uh, mostly it's a story of the Messiah. If you are acquainted with the holiday season, you've probably heard the Hallelujah Chorus at least, and perhaps more sections of the Messiah also. The Messiah is a piece of music that has intrigued me and entertained me and inspired me for a, for a very long time. And uh, I was very interested in, in the whole backstory and, and particularly the idea that the mix between entertainment and worship is not a 20th century, 21st century phenomenon. People have been arguing about the role of this sort of music for hundreds of years. And we've never really been able to come around to a a definitive position on that. Handel uh, got the best singers that he possibly could when the Messiah premiered for obvious reasons. Well, he, he had friends in the more tawdry aspects of English society. He's not English, but he was uh, mostly working in England. England claims him as their greatest composer, and he's German, so there you go. At any rate, he knew people who had a an untoward background, let's just say, and the music was inspiring to people of a religious bent. They wanted to proclaim it, or they wanted to perform it in uh, cathedrals, etc. And is it appropriate for a cathedral, or is it appropriate for a music hall? It's it's difficult to say sometimes, and I don't know that it comes down with a definitive answer on that, but it does inspire us to consider what we are doing when we are singing in general, and especially when we are listening to recorded music of a spiritual nature. Some of it maybe with instruments, some of it without instruments, 
We don't worship with instrumental music at Lakewoods Drive. Many of my friends disagree with me on that. But uh, one of the arguments that is made against instrumental music is that it becomes an entertainment thing more than a worshipful thing. Is it an either-or situation? Does it have to be one or the other? The Messiah book actually does a, a pretty good job of pursuing that. And as a bonus, there's all kinds of scores in the uh, in the music if you want to get your piano out or whatever and try to play along. Uh, there's a there's a free score there for you. At any rate, uh, I find it very interesting, and my obsession with classical music is not a mystery. I've been talking about that a good bit. This is really the first time I've dug into Handel's life, though. I enjoyed that very much. Uh, number nine is going to be a twofer. You know that I do that. And by the way, apologies to uh, Edwin Crozier, who appeared on my podcast this month, uh, along with Elizabeth Nowlin, and then we're talking about their uh, Gilligan's Island books that they were going to bring to a deserted island if they ever got stranded, if they could only pick five. And I gave Edwin a hard time for filling one slot with four different books. Well, I do that all the time on my list. So, you know, what right do I have to complain? At any rate, I have a couple of books that I'm going to group together, not for thematic reasons, but for situational reasons. One is T.S. Eliot's Old Possum's Book of Practical Cats. And the other is Passover by David Mamet. Uh, those two books don't seem to have anything in common, nor do they have anything in common, except I bought them and read them on the same day in the same bookstore. So let me back up a little bit and explain why they were surprising to me. I, I had my eye on Old Possum's book, Practical Cats, because I wanted to do a Cats episode, and I was intrigued by the series of poems that inspired the musical Cats which I have a great deal of contempt for, by the way, but that's another story. Uh, and so I, I grabbed it and I thought, well, I'll go ahead and read this. And it's really short. Uh, some might take issue with my idea of calling it a book in the first place, but it, it reads in a very short period of time, which is exactly what I did uh, right there at the store. And uh, David Mamet's a book, Passover, is a, a personal and... I don't know how to put it exactly. Uh, Mamet is Jewish, and so he's written this story. He's a playwright, and he wrote this very short story about a family that was celebrating Passover and the background behind it and this special knife that held a special role uh, in the family. And the telling of the story is fascinating, I thought. And it's extremely short, even shorter than uh, the Practical Cats poems. And so I thought... Here's what I can do. And this is Hal Hammond's famous tightwad talking to you here. Always looking for uh, to save two bucks if I can. The The Practical Cats book, I think, was was being sold for less than $6, which is a lot more than I normally pay. The Mammoth book, I wasn't sure I was interested in it at all, but it was $2. So I thought, you know what? I'll just sit here in the bookstore and I'll read both of these books and then I'll put them back on the shelf and I won't have to spend any money. Ha! I've I've gamed the system. Well, I played myself, basically, by doing this because both of these books were an absolute delight. I enjoyed them thoroughly, both of them. I did not anticipate that. I wasn't expecting to hate them, of course, especially though the Old Possum's Book of Practical Cats. What in the world? I'm not really a poetry person anyway. I try to be a poetry person, but I'm not really. I thought, though, that it would be worth a shot. And I found it absolutely delightful. I'll, I'll go back and read it again pretty soon, I'm sure. It was, uh, and I'm not a cat's person at all, either the play or the the mammal. But uh, it was it was really really neat. And uh, David Mamet's book uh, about Passover, 
I, I found extremely intriguing. And both of them, I thought, would be very suitable for use on the podcast at some point. I hadn't quite worked that out yet, but uh, one of these days I will. So I wound up spending the money anyway. I brought them home, and I'm glad I did. So those together are number nine. Number eight is Dandelion Wine by Ray Bradbury. And I have Elizabeth Nowlin and her colleagues on the Book Fair podcast to thank for this. If you don't listen to the ladies on a book fair, you, you might give them a shot. It's F-A-R-E. They mentioned Bradbury and they mentioned Dandelion Wine, and I had never heard of this book. I'm not necessarily a big Ray Bradbury fan. My attachment, or lack thereof, to sci-fi has been well-documented on the podcast recently. Ray Bradbury is a classic sci-fi novelist. Well, fine, I'm sure he's great, but I don't really read sci-fi, so there you go. Well, Dandelion Wine is the farthest thing from sci-fi. Dandelion Wine is a book about a a country town and a a small colloquial group and the way things used to be way back in the day in a simpler time, etc. I'm not sure it's the best book that I've ever read. I'm not sure I really even enjoyed it greatly. It was it was good, but the idea that Ray Bradbury would write a book like this. I did not see that coming at all. And it was enough of a surprise where I sought it out and I read it. And I'm glad that I did. Thank you, ladies, for turning me to that particular book. Uh, Number seven, I think it is, that we're up to now, is The Joe Schuster Story by Julian Vologe. I'm going to say Vologe and Thomas Campy. I had a, a notion back... Uh, earlier this year to do a Superman episode of the podcast. And it's an idea I have not given up on yet. I thought maybe a Batman episode also, maybe even a superheroes themed month. So I went online and tried to find a novelized version of a Superman story or a Batman story. And I wound up finding a couple of graphic novels, which I read and were interesting. Graphic novels is a fancy word for comic books, by the way, for those of you who, who don't know. For the same purposes, I sought out or accidentally stumbled upon, rather, the Joe Schuster story. If you don't know, Joe Schuster is the artist who conceived of Superman, He, along with uh, Jerry Siegel. Okay, fine. I had planned on going a different way with Superman, but maybe this would be a, a way to go. And it turns out that the Joe Schuster story is itself a comic book, a, a long comic book version of the life story of Joe Schuster surprising. I I did not see that coming, which kind of cool when you think about it, because Schuster, of course, is an artist. And as it turns out, his life story is is very, very interesting. You'd be shocked to find out how little money Siegel and Schuster made off of Superman. The whole story of how the character was developed and sold and marketed and put on lunchboxes and all the rest of it, I found it fascinating and, and somewhat disturbing, the amount of power that an artist a writer could have over their own creation. Back in the day, such things were sold off very quickly, very cheaply, just because the creatives didn't have a whole lot of money, didn't have a lot of opportunities. You give me $100 for my life's work, hey, that's $100 more than I had before. And Superman, of course, absolutely blew up and was this gigantic hit, even in the short term, and continues to be so. And imagine how many royalties are piling onto the people who own the rights to Superman. Well, those people were not Siegel and Schuster. And at one point, Schuster was was homeless, while everybody knew about his work and nobody knew his name. 
it's it's a rather sad story, but has a, a bit of a happy ending toward the end. I don't want to depress you too much. I found it very interesting. And if you're into that kind of thing, if you're a big Superman fan, you might seek out the Joe Schuster story. I found it interesting at least. Uh, the next one on the list is The Quick and the Dead by Louis L'Amour. I am trying to broaden myself this uh, this year, and I have never read a Western novel. Never. And it's it's kind of strange when you think about it because Western novels are extremely popular. I like Western movies. They're nice and short. Quick and the Dead is itself maybe 150 pages, 180 pages. And so they, they read quickly. They, they fit in your pocket. It would seem to be an easy sell uh, to me. And a used copy of a Louis L'Amour book is going to be found in your used bookstores for less than $2 probably. So it's a, it's a home run all the way around. I'd never read one. Well, I thought, well, how bad could it be? <laughs> Surely this is worth the experience to pick it up. And The Quick and the Dead sounded as good a title as any, so I grabbed it, and it was good. I, I liked it very much. I don't know exactly what I was expecting, but it was good enough where I see myself getting more Louis Moore stories, and maybe even a Zane Gray or, or whatever. The Western themes tend to be, I'm, I understand, relatively simplistic. Western movie themes are simplistic. That doesn't mean I... You seen one, you've seen them all. I'm interested in different Western stories. Well, why shouldn't I be interested in different Western book stories too? So we'll see how that goes. Thank you very much, Louis Lamore, and uh, anyone who's encouraged me to get into that genre also. I would like to talk about Joseph Conrad here. I picked up a compilation of Heart of Darkness and The Secret Sharer. I have never read Heart of Darkness before. Partly that's because it seemed a little creepy. Partly it's because it's most famous these days for being the inspiration for Apocalypse Now, which is a film that I have not seen and don't have any intention of seeing. It doesn't sound like my kind of thing at all. If it's your favorite movie, apologies, whatever. But uh, Heart of Darkness seemed like a really negative, not very fun read. But it's, it's a classic and it's not very long. I thought, you know what? I'll go ahead and pick it up. And hey, you know what? There's also this book called The Secret Sharer that's uh, that's attached to that. Two for the price of one, two for considerably less, in fact, than the price of one. So, you know, why not? And Heart of Darkness was okay. I, I, I didn't mind it as much as I thought. It was very thinky and uh, somewhat disturbing, etc. I'll be talking about my studies in Africa in a, in a different list. Just I'm not going to spoil things for you. But what I want to talk about here on this list is The Secret Sharer, which is a, a shorter book even than Heart of Darkness, and one that I enjoyed quite a bit. The captain of a ship finds a, a stranded person who turns out to be this, this murderer, and yet the two of them have this connection. And it's difficult to explain why, but he winds up putting his entire life, his entire career, on hold and in, in danger, in peril, serious peril. For a complete and total stranger, just because of some connection that he feels with this person. I feel like that is a rather ridiculous thing to do, and I would never do it. Uh, nevertheless, it gave me some real thoughts with regard to fellowship and connection and commonality that got some wheels spinning in my head. And I think that The Secret Share may find its way onto a podcast episode about fellowship or something like that in the not-too-distant future. And I enjoyed the read. It was actually quite interesting, quite enjoyable. I liked it better than Heart of Darkness anyway. But that is The Secret Share by Joseph Conrad. Uh, we're getting here toward the end. I think we have three books to go. Uh, this one is by 
uh, Thad Carthart. It's called The Piano Shop and the Left Bank. My, uh, I don't, don't want to say obsession. That's probably exaggerated, but my continued interest, let's just say, in things of a music of a musical nature in book form uh, continues to resonate on the podcast. I am reading books about composers, reading books about composition, reads reading books about uh, musical instruments, as it turns out. And I thought that the piano shop on the left bank was a, an intriguing title for a novel. I was at the time planning a Paris episode and uh, I wound up going a different path with regard to Paris, but nevertheless looking for a book about Paris or that featured Paris, et cetera. And uh, this book takes place in Paris. So, you know, let's give it a shot. Sometimes let me, let me back up a little bit. My philosophy with regard to buying books is, I don't know if you want to call it simple or complicated, but basically if a book, if I go to a used bookstore and I see a book that is deeply discounted one and it has an intriguing title too, you know, that's going to go a long way toward me buying the book. If I'm only going to pay two or $3 for it. And if three, it has a connection to a potential podcast episode that I want to do, whether it's Paris or pianos or whatever. Well, that's that's three strikes and the book is out of the bookstore and into my stack of books to be read. And so I'll I'll do a quick, you know, run through the the flyleaf or the back cover or whatever. And if it looks like it it could be a thing, I'll pick it up. And that is why I have stacks and stacks of books all over the place here that that wait to be read. I'm reading extremely quickly, but I'm still buying too many books uh, at a time. I need to speed up the reading or slow down the buying, one or the other, or I'm, I'm never going to reach equilibrium. At any rate, the piano shop on the left bank seemed like a real a real winner for me, so I picked it up and started reading it. And about ten pages in or so, I realized this is not a novel at all. This is some kind of of personal story. Tad Carthart moved to Paris and was intrigued by used pianos and found himself keeping company with people who worked at this strange piano shop that refused to sell him a piano, would not sell him a piano. The Americans out there who hear a store like this is, well, my money's as good as anybody else. Why would somebody act that way? Well, apparently people in Paris are like that. But instead of pushing back, he digs deeper into this culture, into this shop, the background. He meets people, gets to know them very gradually, and winds up creating all these friendships and associations. And he does, in fact, get his piano uh, eventually. I found it fascinating. Not at all the story that I thought it was going to be. Not even remotely close. But still, I thought very interesting. And so it was a perfect fit for the surprising uh, list on the podcast. The Piano Bank or the piano shop, rather, on the left bank, discovering a forgotten passion in a Paris atelier by Tad Carthart. I'm not sure it's something that I'm going to hold on to forever, by the way. So this may be one of those books that I'm going to be giving away. If you are not acquainted with this policy that I've had for the last few months, instead of holding on to books that I may or may not read at some point in the some distant future or trading them in to get five cents for every book or something like that. I would rather give them to people who show an interest. And so I've been bundling books up and sending them out as early Christmas presents and that sort of thing. I'll have another list available uh, before too long. I'm sure there's any book on this particular list, for instance, or any book that appears on the podcast 
that any of you might be interested in. It wouldn't hurt anything to reach out. I can't guarantee anything. Some of these books I do intend to hang on to, but not all of them. In fact, not most of them. I have two books left on my list. Uh, The first one, you can argue about whether it qualifies as a book. Let Let me defend myself here for a second. I define book basically on whether or not it is presented as a book. Putting an X through anxiety, probably if I had seen it on a shelf, I would have called it a leaflet or a pamphlet or something like that. It was sold to me as a book. I saw this listed in a list of discounted, surprise, surprise, books at a uh, Christian book distributorship that was having this special deal, buy 10 books for a dollar a piece, something like that. Well, I'm all over that. And so I just grabbed some titles that looked intriguing. And this was one of them, putting an X through anxiety. Well, I'm all in favor of, of putting X's through anxiety. And if somebody can actually put into words a way to help worried people be less worried, I've been trying to do that for decades. That'd be tremendous. And then the book arrives and it's, it's what, maybe 60 pages, 50 pages and, and very, very small pages. I thought, Oh, great. I've, I'm not sure this is even worth a dollar, but I'll read it anyway, and I'll give myself credit for reading it anyway. And let me tell you, this book is good. I I really liked putting an X through anxiety. My fear was it's just going to be platitudes. It's just going to be, hey, you got to feel positive about yourself or, or look on the bright side or all these cliches that you've heard a thousand times. Doesn't mean they're not good advice. Doesn't mean it's not biblical even, but, uh, but nevertheless, how can I read 50 pages and feel better about my life. That just doesn't seem very reasonable. Well, maybe it's not reasonable. But nevertheless, I found some stuff in this book that that I found uh, quite intriguing. For instance, here, I'll give you a quick read here. In the summer of 2017, parts of the U.S. witnessed a total eclipse of the sun. For this to happen, the moon, which is much smaller than the sun, but much closer to the earth, was positioned perfectly between the people viewing and the blazing sun. The moon blocked out the powerful rays of the sun and created a new atmospheric reality on that spot of earth. In the same way, worship allows us to choose to move God between our view and our giants, these these huge, humongous things that are bothering us anyway. God blocks the view between us and our so-called problems. And because God is so much closer to us than our problems, we're able to completely obscure these things if we believe in God, if we trust in God. I'd never heard it put that way before. That kind of thing comes up a lot. Louis Giglio is an author that I'm now very interested in. I've got a couple of books of his that are on my my watch list. Can't track them down yet, but I'm on the hunt anyway. I, I love the way he writes. I love the way he thinks. Are they platitudes? Yes. Are they derivative? Maybe. But they're original and they're useful. Uh, I found them helpful. I think I can get some sermons out of this. And uh, I'm all in favor of that. So putting an X through anxiety, I'm not sure it's worth 20 bucks, but if you find it listed for for a dollar or $5 or whatever, you might give it a look. And maybe by reading it, you can uh, find some calm in your own life. And the number one most surprising book I read in 2023 is Pride and Prejudice and Zombies by Jane Austen and Seth Graham Smith. If you've been paying attention to the podcast last uh, month or so, you're not surprised by this choice. I featured this on the satire episode a while back. This book, I, I don't even know what to say. I picked it up almost as a joke. 
I figured, well, surely I'll be able to get something out of this. I did not really have very high expectations at all. And through the first 20, 30, 50 pages or so, I'm thinking this is ridiculous. This is an abomination, an insult to the memory of Jane Austen. And I'm not even a huge Jane Austen fan. And yet the more I got into the book, the more intriguing I found it. And I'm not going to do another five-minute segment on satire here, but the idea that human beings don't change that much, whether there are or are not hordes of zombies roaming through the English countryside, is just a, a fascinating concept. And as I, I, I did mention this, the idea that zombie stories traditionally tend not to be about the zombies, but rather about the people who are being infected by the zombies. I found that to be true with World War Z, which I talked about in the zombie episode, and I found it to be true here also. This is about the nature of humanity. If Lizzie is an ordinary English countrywoman, or if she is a warrior on a quest to rid the world, or at least her family's neighborhood of zombies, either way, it's the same. She is headstrong and opinionated and doesn't especially care about the way she comes across to people who are in her orbit. Darcy is still understated and a bit arrogant and difficult to get to know, etc. And the way that Seth Graham Smith is able to incorporate these existing characters into a new format and a new circumstance, I found to be very, very interesting. Not the best up, not the best book I ever read by any means. I liked it better than World War Z as far as that goes. But I found the concept of taking an existing format and putting it in a completely new setting to be very engaging and worth the effort. So Pride and Prejudice and Zombies by Seth Graham Smith and, of course, Jane Austen, a terrific read. And that's 10 books, or a little more than 10 books, I suppose. Anyway, those are the books that took me by surprise in 2023. I hope that your reading is profitable this year. I hope that you found something interesting to read. Of course, more than anything else, I hope that you're reading the Bible. I hope that that draws you closer to God, and whatever other books you happen to read are tools to help you put God's principles, God's ordinances into a context and help you relate to the world around you, help you apply God's word to the world around you, and always try to draw closer to him and to the ideals that he has for your life. Thank you for listening to the Citizen of Heaven podcast. Please rate, review, and share so others can access this content. I encourage you also to join the Heaven Citizens Facebook group. There you will find links to related materials, conversation starters, poll questions, and the occasional special announcement. Also, check out the How Hammonds channel on YouTube for even more content. Until next time, be strong and courageous, fight the good fight of faith, and do all things in the name of the Lord Jesus. This is Hal Hammonds, Citizen of Heaven, signing off.